was about 1998, and I was on a flight from Pittsburgh to Dallas. And I'd gotten in, and I'd taken my seat. It was an aisle seat. I was lucky. I was, it was an aisle seat, and I'm sitting there, and the fellow in the window seat, I looked over at him, and I said something about how I hoped we were lucky enough to have the middle seat empty. And, and even then, it was sometimes an iffy proposition if you could get that middle seat empty. So I'm sitting there as the plane is starting to fill up. And as time passed, he and I, my, the window fella and I, were both getting excited because while the plane was filling up, no one was coming to claim the middle seat. Finally, it looked like everybody was on board. Nobody else was coming down the aisle. And it, it, they were talking about, you know, getting ready to close the door and do their cross-check. And, and just then I heard somebody yell up front and it says, hold for another passenger. And I'm looking around and there's maybe one or two other empty seats that I could see around me and behind me and the seat between me and my window mate. And I thought, oh, oh, no. <sighs> oh, well. And so I'm watching and looking to see who it might be and praying it's going to be somebody nice and thin. And I'm looking and around the corner comes a man I recognized. The man was Mr. Rogers. Mr. Fred Rogers. Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. That Mr. Rogers. I, I recognized him clearly. I had no question that it was him. And he starts to make his way back. I says, oh, no, he's certainly going to be sitting in first class. I must have not seen an empty seat. Nope. He passes first class and into the coach steerage section, you know, back for the cattle are. And, and he's coming up and he's coming. And I'm going, oh, oh, maybe, oh, no, it's not going to happen. There's no way Mr. Rogers is going to be sitting next to me. And he stops right at my row. And he looks down at me. And he says, I think that's my seat. And I said, oh, will you please be my neighbor? <laughs> and and I, I jumped up and, oh, yes, please, have a seat. Oh, you want to take the aisle seat? No, 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 I'll take the center seat. That's not a problem. And so he moves in and he sits down and I sit down and rebuckle and my heart's racing with excitement. And I say to myself, Greg, you must not pester this man. <laughs> You've got to let him have a flight in peace. And so I said hello to him. He introduced himself. My name is Fred. I know that, sir. <laughs> You're Mr. Rogers. And he said, I guess my reputation precedes me. And I said, yes, it does. And then he asked me who I was, and I gave him my name. And I was going to let it go at that. But Mr. Rogers started to talk with me. He asked me questions as we were taxiing to get ready to take off. He asked me questions, who I was, what I did for a living, where I went to school, the kind of churches that I'd served. He was truly interested in me. I asked him questions and he gave me answers. And we talked, we took off, got our, got our refreshment orders and sat there and sipped and, and talked for two hours. And I took the opportunity to share with him the huge impact that he had had on my life as a child. 
because when I was growing up, I watched his program every day I could. I told him that. He had taught me so much about how to live as a true, honest, loving human being. And how he was very important in my maturation, in my growing up. And very important in my coming to understand what the church taught about grace. Because in his life, in all that he did as I watched him as a child and then as I watched him as an adult, in all that he did, he expressed in word and in deed the love, the grace, and the peace of God. Did you know that Fred Rogers was an ordained Presbyterian minister? A lot of people don't know that. And yet, he didn't preach at people. He didn't quote scripture. He did a few times, but often he didn't identify it. Instead of teaching or preaching from the Bible, Mr. Rogers lived the gospel. Mr. Rogers lived it. He exemplified what it meant to be a child of God with other children of God. And he exemplified what it meant to see in the smallest child the beautiful imago dei, the beautiful image of God. I shared with him how his puppet Daniel spoke deeply to me in times of difficulty in my life as I was growing up. My problems with my self-image, my problems with learning to love myself, even though I often found myself so unlovable. And as we talked, what flowed from him was a loving, non-judgmental, accepting, welcoming, affirming flow of grace. He was the first person. He was the first person outside my family with whom I shared that I was gay. And the grace and the love and the acceptance that he expressed towards me was, I'll never forget it. It was totally reflective of God's love. The flight came to an end. I, I have never before wanted a flight to not end. The flight came to an end. We landed. We taxied up to the jetway. We we all got up to leave, and I knew there were a whole lot of people that wanted to meet him because during the flight, periodically, someone would come by to go to the bathroom, and they'd stop and, and say hi to Mr. Rogers. A whole lot of people wanted to meet him, and I knew that. So we're walking up the jetway, and he asks me for my business card, so I give it to him. He says, I'll send you an email. I said, thank you so much. And then we shook, and then he embraced me. And then a whole mob came up to talk to him, and I moved away and went home high on the grace of God that I had experienced in the man who was a childhood idol of mine. 
a man who taught me what it meant to be a neighbor, to recognize a neighbor, and to live as a neighbor to others, even to those, and this is something he and I talked about, even towards those and with those that are quite unneighborly. Mr. Rogers expressed the true essence of what was described in the story of the Good Samaritan today. The story of the Good Samaritan is very much the kind of story that Mr. Rogers would have told on his broadcast. He may have. I, I may have missed it. He may have given it new terms and new setting, but he may have paraphrased it heavily, but it's the kind of story that he would have told in that Mr. Rogers himself was so very Christ-like and Sarah very much, in, in, the, in the terms of the story, like the Samaritan. But let's take a step back for a moment and take a look at the context of the story. Then a lawyer, now Jesus has been speaking for a while. Then a lawyer stood up and decided he was going to test Jesus. And he said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? <laughs> Good teachers teach by asking questions. And that's exactly what we see here. What do you see in the law? And the lawyer replies, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to them, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. How beautiful, how beautifully simple can it possibly be? Can it really be this easy? The religious life, the spiritual life, the eternal life that God has for us, can it be this easy? That was the lawyer's question. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? It's as almost as if he's saying, okay, I can define and thereby limit the identity of my neighbor and thereby absolve myself from having to treat everybody as if they're my neighbor, right? I can get away with that, right? Jesus' answer is, quite frankly, a scandalous answer. Because the priest and the Levite, who are both the ones that you would expect to be the heroes of the story, the priest and the Levite in the story of the Good Samaritan, the priest and the Levite walk past the injured guy. They see him there, he's been beaten up, he's bleeding, he's dying. And the priest and the Levite, they walk past on the other side of the road, giving him a wide berth rather than get too close to him. And, and, and they have, ostensibly, they have really good reasons for doing this. After all, the priest and the Levite have certain ritual requirements that they must fulfill. They got duties in the temple they have to fulfill. They have things they must do, and to do them, they have to be ritually clean ritually pure. And if you have an issue of blood, according to the Old Testament scriptures, if you have an issue of blood, if you're bleeding, if you're injured, then you are unclean. And for that priest and that Levite to help that man would have made them unclean. And it's not just a matter of having dirt or blood on you. 
It's a matter of having a spiritual uncleanliness, polluted by the life of the soul and the blood coming out of the injured man and onto them. So they walked by, and they had very good reasons, convenient reasons, to walk on by and not help the injured man. The Samaritan, however, he is the hero of this story. The one you would not expect to be the hero is. The ones you would expect aren't. The religious folk, nuh-uh. But the Samaritan, he's the hero. And who were the Samaritans again? They were the descendants of the northern kingdom, the remnant of the northern kingdom of Israel, who remained behind and intermarried with the people that the Assyrians had imported to the northern kingdom after they destroyed it in 721 B.C. So the Samaritans are half Hebrew, half Eratian, half Assyrian people, half-breed people by the Jewish understanding. And they were not liked. In fact, the, the Jews and the Samaritans, they did not like each other. It was a mutual thing in Jesus' day. And it was both cultural and racial and religious antipathy. So the Samaritan is sort of the outcast. Certainly not someone who ought to be a hero, a hero in one of Jesus' stories. But he is. And he takes care of the injured man. And he takes him to an inn and he pays to have him further cared for until he returns. And then Jesus asks, who was the true neighbor to this injured man? Was it the priest or the Levite or the Samaritan? Well, the answer is obviously the one who showed him mercy, the one who did, who helped him, the one who did what God was calling him to do, which was help. The Samaritan. And then Jesus says, You've heard it. You heard it. Go and do likewise. Mr. Rogers, throughout his entire life, his entire professional life, Mr. Rogers was like a Samaritan to children and adults around the world. He expressed God's love to neighbors he met every day and to neighbors he would only meet occasionally and to neighbors he would never meet. You know, he once appeared on Sesame Street. I saw that episode myself and I actually saw it recently on, on, on YouTube. And in Sesame Street, you have one of the best definitions of a neighbor I've ever heard. Who are the people in your neighborhood, in your neighborhood, in your neighborhood? Oh, who are the people in your neighborhood? They're the people that you meet each day. That's true. The people you meet each day, each week, each month. Also, your neighbors, and by the way, that word neighbor from, comes from Old English, and it means those who are nigh you, those who are near you. And in this world, with technology, 
The people who are near us are the people right here in our pews, people in this town, people in this state, people in this nation, people in this world. There are people who are watching either live right now or will be on delay in places as far away as San Francisco and Los Angeles, Georgia, Liberia, Netherlands and Poland and Russia and Japan. Several years ago, I was looking at the administrator logs for my website and I noticed that I was getting a regular viewership of one person from a NASA IP address that was assigned to the International Space Station. So yes, indeed, our neighbors are those who are nigh us, who are near to us, and everybody in this world is near to us. Mr. Rogers was a neighbor to me. He was probably a neighbor to you or to your children. And even today, he's a neighbor. Long past his passing, he's a neighbor to millions. Teaching the love of God, the acceptance of God, the compassion of God, the true grace of God. And we are called to do likewise, to be that good Samaritan, the one that the story writers would never make the hero. Jesus made the hero. Us. We're called to be a good neighbor to the people we like, to the people we know to the people we want to like and want to know, and even to the people that's hard to like and to know. We're called to be a good neighbor, to love the Lord our God, and to love our neighbor as ourself. May we do that. May we learn a fresh from examples like Mr. Rogers. May we learn afresh what it means from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us learn afresh what it means to be a neighbor, a good neighbor, a loving and accepting and helping and affirming neighbor to all we meet. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.